0: Welcome, friends, to Historical AF. I'm Keena. And
1: I'm Emily from Harlots of History Podcast. And I'm Cara Mia also from Harlots of History Podcast.
0: <laughs> we are two history podcasts delivering you these spooky and random historical puppy nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. And I said puppy nuggets again. Last time, I was like, well, that doesn't sound good. You know what I meant.
1: <laughs> like chicken nuggets. Just, I just went like... Ee! because
0: it was so cute. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. Well, thank you guys for joining me. And also, thank you for being patient. We were going to record this earlier last week, but then things kept happening. That <laughs> my COVID shot kicked my ass, and then my cat got sick. So, yay. <laughs> that's a lot. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot well, of things happen. I got the second COVID shot, and I think Probably, like, two hours in, I was Googling, like, if you don't have side effects, is it still working? <laughs> and then, like, two hours later, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's working. Well, at
2: least you're at least you're
0: covered now, though. That's yeah, getting... yeah. By next week, I'll be fully vaccinated. So I'm really – I know. That is so weeks. exciting. You're invincible. <sighs> oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. No powers yet. I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My superpower will be able to like hug my mom eventually. I'm so excited. I haven't seen her in so long.
2: Oh, I know. My dad just got his second one. So I was like able to hug him.
0: Yeah, the CDC like like, just said that if you're all fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask and you can like Mm -hmm. not social distance. I just want to hug my family.
2: Yeah, we our, my parents are like in our bubble, just the four of us, and like none of us leave our house or like do anything. Yeah. We still try really hard to like, social distance and mm-hmm. not like I haven't hugged my parents even, and we just like try to be outside. Hopefully soon, we'll tell everybody about your podcast.
1: Emily and I are very amateur historians, but we love, 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 love to reteach ourselves and relearn about history, especially amazing women. And we love to talk about the subjects that were taboo in our households growing up, which was like practically everything. We are especially really passionate about being advocates for sex workers Mm -hmm. and also just very much about reclaiming your own sexuality. And we're just like very interested in just, it's pretty much any woman's, woman identifying anybody, anything, nothing's off
2: subject. And we just have a lot of fun. (laughs)
0: That's incredible. It mm-hmm. started
2: out as like mistresses and we wanted to expand it more. So basically just any woman and not necessarily like anyone who's been like, I, I think like most of it is like think people that like have been kind of done wrong in the mm-hmm. eyes. And, you know, we use the term highlight endearingly. So we've done mm-hmm. so many people, but like, yeah, mistresses, sex workers, like a lot of courtesans, especially like our first episode was Mata Hari, which is Ooh. a really fun one. Yeah, that was my I think favorite it was Emily's
1: first And my first episode was Ava Braun. Cause I wanted yeah. to get
0: evil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's the worst.
2: Actually, <laughs> right. my, my our first episode we still haven't released. I think we might release this while we're on our um, season hiatus. Is Ghislaine Maxwell? That was our oh. first episode. It was very
1: like uh, what's it called? Time appropriate at the yeah, because everything was happening the, at the time.
2: Well, the day that I went to record it, she was arrested. So I was like. I was like Whoa. madly being like, oh my God, like I have to find out more information. Yeah, it was crazy.
0: And it's such a good topic because there's also just so many women in history that were accused of being harlots for just, you know,
1: right. and Emily and, <laughs> and we are, you know, going to have merch and all this stuff made up. Emily has a lot of the designs done, but it's just like every single word that has been used against, especially like women, we are mostly sticking to like 1800s words, but like, you know, strumpet. And- <laughs> I love it, this- it. Yeah,
0: trollop, yeah, like, trollop. Yep, yep. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, my mom mm-hmm. always has this funny story. My she used to sneak out and then like him her hemline up every time she went out, and then she would like undo the hem when she went home. And my grandpa caught her one time, and he called <laughs> her <laughs> he called her a trollop. And she's like, I don't know what that means, but it does not sound good. <laughs> I would love it to be called the a trollop. Oh, my gosh. Oh my I gosh. know. I love it. But, yeah, I was listen- – because all the Meghan Markle stuff going on, that interview with Diana where she's like women in history. People are like, why is she strong? Why is she like that? Why is she able to do that? I'm like, it's so true. Like, people get so freaked out by women in history that were powerful. And so mm-hmm. they just try to bring them down with these words. But – Jokes on and them! You- it's power now, baby. <laughs> 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 Call me a trollop it- any day. I'll wear it like a right, bashful. right,
1: <laughs> and and like that's like and like you know of course like everyone was like I've, as they should be really inspired by Amber Rose's Slut Walk. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I just I just like absolutely love like reclaiming words. The mm-hmm. idea of it, any sort of group reclaiming words is such a cool idea. I think. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. So we've had a lot of fun with it. We started in August. And then we're going on our first season hiatus and we'll be back in June. Yeah, it's been fun. We love learning and talking and we get passionate. There's always room for rants about patriarchy. Oh. Yeah.
0: It's a lot of rants. This is perfect timing since it is Women's History Month. It is. Right? Ugh. Ugh. And it was love just
1: it. Um, International Women's
0: Day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Puppy nuggets. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, do we and do you guys have dogs? <laughs> I do. I have, she's, I don't I don't know. She's a mutt. Oh, she's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. She's, I don't know what kind she is. She looks like she's like a, like, she's got the body of a bull terrier. She's all white. She's really long and has short legs. But she, like, looks like she could be, like, mixed with, like, a white shepherd or something. Like, Aww. yeah, she's, like, a weird mix. She, like, looks like, she, like, looks like the, like, if you took a shepherd's body and head and then put it on corgi legs. That's what she looks like. <laughs>
1: like Emily's dog looks like like, oh, she's cute. And then when she stands up, because she has, like, a normal-sized body, and when she stands up, and you see how short her legs are, you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> so
2: People are yeah. always like, what kind of dog is she? And I'm like, I don't know.
1: And, like, she's <laughs> muscly. She's got so many muscles.
2: She's like, got some sort of, like, pit bull or old bull terrier, but we just say that she's a corgi mix. Because it's, you know, <laughs> for a long time, de- like, pit bulls were actually illegal in Denver. So I didn't yeah. take her to dog parks when we moved here. Because, like, they were, like, and then now they're not anymore but like every time we take her to a dog park people be like she's a pit bull and i'd be like is she she's a corgi <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah breed breed laws are the bane of my existence it makes no uh, sense yeah makes none the yeah. sweetest dogs i've ever met have been pit bulls and rottweilers i, I don't every dog we get
2: is gonna be a pit bull i just like love adopting dogs from the shelter mm-hmm. and like I don't have a problem with, like, people adopting puppies, but I just, I really like getting, and there's so many pit bulls at, like, the shelters near us. They're, like, all pit bulls, and they're just so sweet. They're such good dogs. They're clingy. They are. They're clingy as fuck, <laughs> but they're really Yeah, good they
0: dog. are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, little babies that never, like, they, they
1: grow, but they never grow up. They... We currently, we do condo living because we're technically right outside. We're in Metro Seattle and it's so expensive. So I condo live. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we're looking for a house this year and until COVID hit, we had, we live right by like the biggest humane society in the Seattle metro area. Oh,
2: cool. And so we
1: just like go by and drool like all the time. We with used our to do kids. that too, and but then, now we can't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, so we just we dream we already have a name picked out we've had a name picked out for like ages
0: and we're gonna name
1: it if it's male, female, we don't care. We're going to name it Mr. Schneebly because my kids like absolutely Wait, love School of Rock. I thought, I thought you were going to name it Meatbags. <laughs> no, that was Richard's. I vetoed that idea. He wanted to get a bulldog and name it Meatbags. And I was like, yeah, right. I know. I'm really happy you didn't so, like, go we, with me. We meat. literally sit and argue about our dog's name more than we've argued about
0: our kids. <laughs> That's incredible.
2: Matt and I, every time we like have a bet. Whoever wins the bet gets to name, like, the future dog.
0: That's, like, what we bet on.
2: <laughs> like, not our future kid.
0: I don't care. <laughs> the names are important. The dog that's under the desk right now, he's still fucking Murray dog. <laughs> and then we have Ruger, and my husband named him after a gun, and then we have Wally, principal. After here, a but, gun? That's yeah. What kind of dogs do you have? Ruger is a boxer, a brindle. Aww. He's very sweet. And then Murray is a... Super mutt. So tempted to do doggy DNA tests I just haven't been able to get myself to do it. If they want to yes. sponsor me, I will do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> me too. They're so expensive.
2: I don't want to pay a hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah, I
0: know they're the same price as my human one was. If I ever do it, it'll be like a competition. Whoever gets closest, like guessing, that'd be really <laughs> fun. Because every vet I have ever been to has said he's a different dog. And oh, me I'm too. Really- yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to jump into the stories? Yes. (laughs) Please. Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. All right. So I have random and my word was given to me by Jeff Jeff and it is minister. (laughs) Minister? Yes. You'll see how I work it in. (laughs) Okay. So if you don't know the random word, it's just a word that the patron give me and I have to fit it in somehow to the segment and the theme. So it's like a little challenge. And if you want to. Give me a random word. Jamil's plug. Join Patreon. Okay. <laughs> As we learned last week, dogs were one of the first animals to be domesticated by humans tens of thousands of years ago, but nobody knows when because they cannot decide. It's wild that we still don't know anything about dogs. We also learned last week that it's not likely that dogs were domesticated at first to serve a real purpose, like hunting or herding, because it was the ice age. Humans were already hunting just fine because they drove everything to extinction and then also they weren't domesticating plants or herd animals yet so the dogs didn't have an actual purpose they were just like friends yeah it was kind of a mutually beneficial relationship so like a quick summary from last week if you haven't listened the the going theory right now and this actually came out this year is that in the ice age humans were eating too much protein to the point they were poisoning themselves because the animals were so lean that there was no fat in the meat. So they were getting pure protein, no fat, and there was no carbs because it's ice age. There's no plants. So they started overkilling so that they could get more fat from like marrow and stuff. And they had all this excess meat. And then they probably saw like, hey, if we give these wolves this meat, they stop attacking yeah. us or, you know, they alert us to things happening. So it probably worked that wow. way oh that's cool i didn't know that that's really interesting mm-hmm. yeah it's a really new theory it came out in january of 2021 a lot of the other theories just don't pan out so this one actually kind of right i was like that, that. makes sense and the things i've like yeah yeah mm-hmm. because it doesn't make sense that you would invite your competitor for food when you're starving in the ice age unless there was like something going on yeah but it just mm-hmm. so it's likely that early humans were learning to domesticate crops and livestocks and then dogs were kind of like, hey, I got you. And because dogs are very in tune to what they need to do to get what they want. So they probably figured out like, hey, I can help you with that. And then they started using them for herding, guarding, pulling carts and hunting. A lot of it just seems like it was an accident. Yeah, they just <laughs> like, realized. Like, most, most good things are, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and then we also know that with time, dogs added another important job to their resume being spoiled little fur babies as they became our companions <laughs> this whole segment is just gonna be a random history of dog training and psychology and like dog jobs oh like cool okay one. here we go so dogs have had a really close relationship with humans through after being domesticated and they eventually became very sensitive to human communicative. Oh, why can't i talk communicative <laughs> there it is communicative signals <laughs> words are hard and they've had a lot of exposure to humans at that point so they're picking up on speech speech patterns different like tones of voice during play when they're being serious and they just have an innate ability to recognize human speak and mannerisms which there's been a lot of studies on that and it's a lot of times like dogs aren't have to be they don't have to be taught they just know they can even Mm -hmm. read eye gestures like if you dart your eyes your dogs are going to look at what you're looking at it's Mm -hmm. insane no other animal does that. Even our closest relatives, like apes, they don't do that. They can't. Okay. Us. They even
2: like our aunts and uncles. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Our> animal ancestors!
1: <laughs> so you pretty be- much just saying like dogs are really
0: empathic. Yeah, well, they. It's probably a survival thing too that they learn to pick up on how to read humans over the years because it was super beneficial for them. So in many cultures throughout the ancient world, dogs are featured prominently and they were regarded in much the same way as they are today as just, you know, lovable parts of the family. Dogs were seen as faithful companions, hunters, guardians, spirit guides, and as treasured parts of the family. So if you listen to dogs, part one, I talked about the Sholo dog. They were guardians that took you to the underworld and guided you to heavens. It's been a thing for thousands and thousands of years that's cool and i imagine that a lot of this being able to pick up on human language and signals allowed them to have such an important role in every culture around the world it's not one place it's everybody universal awesomeness of dogs (laughs) which again i had a cat episode and this is very different because cats were not as well received (laughs) cats are like assholes yeah yeah
1: i mean they're cute but they're an acquired taste
0: yeah and that's the thing is like dogs will kind of bend to your will cats will not so like medieval europe are like well obviously it's a, the devil
2: <laughs> my partner he has this like garden sprayer hose and he keeps it by the bed for when the cats like fuck around in the middle of the night and he'll literally go from like a dead sleep To waking up and just like spraying the shit out of them because I like jump on the kitchen counter. Like one of them will just like run up the wall. Like he gets like six feet up the wall. I don't know how he does it, but he just like he has the zoomies at night. So he'll just like literally run up the entire door frame. Yeah. I don't
0: (laughs) like it. Cats are wild. (laughs) They're crazy. Yeah. So let's start around 2150 to 1400 BCE. So one of the oldest written stories that we have where dogs appear domesticated was from ancient Mesopotamia, where they appear in an elevated role as a companion to the goddess Ishtar. And like the bad bitch she is, she traveled with seven prized hunting dogs and blinged out collars and leashes. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And although Egypt is often credited for having invented the dog collar, it most likely developed here. There's a golden pendant of a dog. It's clearly a Saluki. I think that's how you say it. I have a picture because I didn't know what that was. <laughs> and again, if you want to see the photos, check social media or join Patreon. Another shameless plug. <laughs> it's this. Oh. I got the ears. I got the sweet little ears. Oh, cute. So I found oh. this pendant. That's cool. And it was found in the Sumerian city of, I think it's Yurk? You're, I can't remember. Uh, do you guys know? Do you know Samarian?
1: No, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Absolutely. <laughs> like I know some about the art there, but that is it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know I took art history class on this, but now I don't remember how to pronounce it. But this is dated three thousand three hundred BCE. Oh wow! This is the dog that I just showed you, the Saluki, I think. And if I'm saying that wrong, I'm so sorry. And if you can tell, there's like little carvings around the neck and uh-huh. it's the first instance of a dog wearing a collar in art oh that's cool oh yeah it's a super wide collar <laughs> it just got smaller okay there we go can you uh, see it a little better now yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so he's wearing a collar and so that's why they're like well you know we thought it was egypt for a long time but this proved no it was mesopotamia and in Egypt claimed enough stuff. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Egypt's got a lot going for it. It can give some other people some stuff. Right. So it can cool. be assumed that if dogs are featured in collars and leashes, they were trained to walk in them. So it's one of the first instances where we're like, yeah, people are training these dogs. That's cool. And they were also. Oh, I
2: really wonder visualized. like why someone was like, oh yeah, let's let's put this, let's put a collar and a leash on. Instead of yeah. just, like, training the dogs walk next to them. And I feel like I would prefer a
0: dog that would just, like, walk freely. So a lot of the Mesopotamian art have a lot of puppers. Like, this is a very realistic dog. I think this one's... Oh, yeah. yeah. That's cool. So people walking their dogs. Mm-hmm. Dogs are also depicted in a lot of Mesopotamian art as hunters and companions. Dogs were kept in the home, and we know this from the art, and they were treated in much the same way as we treat dogs today and we talked about in the first episode with in mesoamerica there were when the colonizers came they were like they tucked the dogs in at night because they were hairless so they were cold so they like to tuck them in with babies so there's just Aww. documentation of all these cultures treating them kind of like children so cute yeah That's really cute <laughs> i like love that and inscriptions and plaques depict dogs waiting for their masters. So there's a lot of pictures of them just kind of waiting by the door, waiting for them to come home, showing him loyalty. And there's even one instance where a guy is playing a flute to his dog. So it kind of just shows like a family element. That's cool. So now let's travel to Egypt. More puppers. <laughs> and the cool thing about Egypt is because of their collars, we know some of the names of these dogs.
2: <gasps>
0: That's cool. so excited. So a lot of the collars that survived were leather, and then they're also in reliefs in some of the stila. So some of these names include the Brave One, Reliable, the Good Herdsman, North Wind, oh. Antelope, and there was even a Useless.
2: Oh. Oh, oh i want him, I, want him. <laughs> I was like i think that'd be my dog
1: <laughs> it's like you can keep your north wind i'll take useless
0: <laughs> oh. 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 That's and that's other so names sweet. came from like the dog's color so they had a blackie and while others were given numbers like one was just called the fifth oh. i then a man named him <laughs> just a <laughs> number one two yeah.
1: three four <laughs>
0: And many of the names seem to represent just endearment, while some talk just about their abilities or capabilities. So a lot of the working dogs might just be, like, herding one, you know, mm-hmm. a little less personal. Mm. The earliest evidence of dog collars in Egypt are on wall paintings, like this one that I'm showing you. And this one's from 3500 BCE. It's a man walking some dogs on leashes. The leash is super simple it's probably just a rope, and then it's tied to a collar. And these collars, like it's depicted here, are... A single piece of leather that's stitched and then glued to form a ring, and then it was slipped over the dog's head.
2: That one dog kind of looks like an alligator. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he wasn't actually walking dogs. They were actually like walking alligators.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's possible. Be like Florida. (laughs) Ancient Florida. (laughs) Ancient Florida. (laughs) (laughs) And then they kind of did an upgrade. So they went from that kind of a collar to like super fancy ones so this one is more elaborate and this would have been new kingdom here but around middle kingdom which is 2040 to 1782 bce they started putting uh, copper and bronze studs on them so you can see that here a little bit of evidence of that and then in new kingdom they start doing etchings so this one was found in a tomb and it was under a noble that was under the reign of Tetmos the fourth. God, Roman numerals. I have to stop and think every time I look at one. Like, no, 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 I swear I'm smart. But this one has horses, so these are horses. Oh, that's cool. And then there's also lotus flowers, and then it was dyed a pale pink.
2: Cute. Yeah. That's so that- a
0: lot of work went into that. going to say mm-hmm. it looks like
2: a
1: very like loving? collar. I feel like more work goes into that than engagement rings.
0: Yeah. It's like an engagement ring
2: for your dog.
0: Yes. Puppies are super important. Mm. They are. The dog was a companion, protector, and hunter for the ancient Greeks as well. And they actually invented the spiked collar. They were the first ones to come up with something like this bad boy. But... This was to protect the dogs from wolves and other dogs. So yeah. when they wore it, like, something couldn't latch onto their neck. Yeah, it's not hurting okay. the dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless they still looks their head. so extreme. It looks like a medieval torture device. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, yeah.
1: I swear I, I saw a kid in high school wear the, one of those. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> the, the emo face. Mm-hmm. Everybody's wearing the chains and stuff. Yeah. yeah, they wore collars, too. I was never... I was never very trendy, but I know a lot of people were into that trend. I mean, I don't know if you call that trendy. (laughs) (laughs) Socrates, ever heard of him? He claims that the dog is a true philosopher because dogs, quote, distinguish the face of a friend and of an enemy only by the criterion of knowing and not knowing. Ooh, So deep. And he concludes that dogs must be lovers of learning because they determine what they like and what they don't like based upon knowledge of the truth but so. Puppies. Aww, Which is true. Dogs cute. are just too pure for this world. So even the philosophers, mm-hmm. like, we get that. They're too it's good for neat. humans. Yeah. It's true. And, like, dogs have such a good judge of character. <laughs> like, when my dogs don't like somebody, I immediately am like, I shouldn't like you either. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I, yeah, I gotta start listening to my dog when she doesn't like people because she's always proven to be a good judge of character.
0: Yes. Yeah, this is slightly topical, but yeah, yesterday it came out that one of the Dogs at the White House Major bit a security guard. And my first thought was like, what did the security guard do? Like, was he one of the insurrection people? Because <laughs> maybe, <laughs> he was maybe like, he's trying to help. <laughs> yeah. He uh, didn't, didn't land very well. Somebody found a tweet of mine from last year when I was like, I'm so glad dogs are coming back to the White House. And they we're like, how'd that work out? And I was like, dude, German Shepherds are fiercely protective and loyal. It's a weird environment
1: you know like yeah it's just they um, just changed houses like literally the the dog's entire life just changed and i'm sure there's
0: so much tension because it's such a high stress job yeah so i'm sure he was just and i guess he nipped a a security guard's hand but i'm like how do we know that a nip is not as far as i'm a
1: nip's not a bite no yeah
0: yeah and the dog is super well trained and we'll talk about it at the end here but i just i was like everybody was just like kill the dog i'm like no oh, no <laughs> but,
2: i yeah i was like if i already said if my anything if my dog ever bites anyone like i'm going off the grid with her i'm like yeah. i'm sorry caramia i love you but i'm like going to move to a cave with my dog <laughs> well, it's super sit, scary. Like,
0: he also said that the dog has learned who is a friend and who is not and based on that knowledge responds appropriately while human beings are often deceived as to who their true friends are <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. No, that's true. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I love it. Yes. And then we have ancient Rome. There's the Latin poet Virgil who wrote, quote, never with dogs on guard need you fear the stalls of midnight thieves.
2: Aww. Aww. Yes.
0: A lot of things that kept reoccurring. It's just like if you had a dog in your house, you don't have to worry. So it's kind of sweet. And like business people, too, because they have the open air market. So, of course, you might want to have, you know, a little guard guard pupper uh-huh. there making sure your entire livelihood is safe so people right? don't it. the writer Varro in his work on living in the country says that every family should have two types of dogs a hunting dog and a watchdog and he says dogs protect people not only from wild animals and thieves but also from supernatural threats Ooh, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna touch on a spooky and if you've talked about it I will cut it out <laughs> you probably have it so the goddess I th- I think it's pronounced Trivia. I'm not sure if it's a different pronunciation. If not, I'm, I swear I'm smart. So the goddess Trivia, who is the Roman version of the Greek Hecate, was the queen of ghosts and haunted crossroads and graveyards, and she was associated with witchcraft. She stole upon people silently to prey on them, but dogs were always aware of her first. So if a dog was looking and barking at nothing, everybody knew she was approaching or it was some other disembodied spirit. And dogs can totally see ghosts. My
2: cat one time hissed at my bookshelf and then three seconds later something fell like off the back end of the book. Like it felt like I had like a piece of paper go flying off the bookshelf from the top shelf, like right
0: before she hissed it. I was like, It was a ghost. It was totally a ghost. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure they can. But so I think it's hilarious that even in ancient Rome, they're like, Yeah, they see they're seeing ghosts. <laughs> like, oh, totally this checks out. Yeah. And then around 127 to 116 B.C., a Roman farmer, Marcus Varro, recorded advice on raising and training puppies for herding livestock. His writings indicate that not only was dog training for specific tasks well established, but there was value in early training and it was recognized. And we don't know a lot about the training in the ancient world before this, but from Rome to about 19th century, we do know a lot because people started writing it down. Unfortunately... It's going to get sad for a second, but I'm going to speed right through it because I can't handle anybody being mean to pupper dogs. <laughs> no. <laughs> for about two millennia, it was generally believed that dogs like horses and children, if we're going to be honest, had wild spirits that needed to be broken. Yeah. These these were not fun times. I can do this, Keena. Okay, so this is not too bad. So in 1848, W. N. Hutchinson published his book. This is a mouthful. Dog breaking, the most expeditious, certain, and easy method, whether great excellence or mediocrity, be required with odds and ends to those who love the dog and the gun. I don't know what, what the gun's about, but that's a... What is the really, gun doing there? I don't know. But that's a really long title, man. Oh, my God. Nobody's going to remember I, I that. that.
2: I hate that. I hate that. Like breaking I in
0: like something. No, I, just, I do not like Like breaking in a pair of shoes and that's about yeah, it. Yeah. 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 It's going to get a little dark. So his primary concern was actually training hunting dogs to be pointers and setters. And the book advocates a form of reward-based training. So he starts out good. Like, yeah, let's do positive. So he says, men who have a strong arm and hard heart to punish, but no temper and no head to instruct, need not apply, basically. He says, be kind and help the dog out. So Stephen Hammond, a writer for a magazine at the time, says that, you know, praise your dog and give them some meat. For correct behavior. And then he got a good trained dog. So this idea I like. Mm-hmm. Nobody listened. Oh. <laughs> and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But first around 1900 canine psychology started to pop up. So I'm going to whip out my old psych degree here. <laughs> My parents Ugh. used to take my dog to a dog psychic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> psychic. Yes.
2: And they were like, that's why they, they changed his name. Cause his name was phantom and he was a big German shepherd. And he was like, he was really mean. Like not that like German shepherds are mean, but this dog was. And so they changed his name to Duke. Cause they were like, every time someone hears the name phantom, they get scared. And then the dog like reacts to the scared. And then like barks at them. So his name is Duke. I mean, it didn't really help much, but <laughs> it was a little better than Phantom. Like that was a terrible well, name.
0: I've never seen like a real life pet psychic somewhere near me, but I think I would go just for the experience. I want to be in. What psychic. is happening in his head? Please tell me. Yeah. Please. So we're gonna start out with our dude Pavlov. I think we've all heard of him. Mm-hmm. So. Ivan Pavlov was a Russian psychiatrist who began studying canine digestive systems around 1890. He was also the father of classical conditioning, AKA Pavlovian conditioning. So classical conditioning essentially refers to the continuous pairing of two stimuli, typically either neutral or a neutral paired with a significant stimuli. So it's commonly believed that he used the bell and rang it and it started salivating, but now Mm -hmm. they actually don't think that it was a bell. There's a lot of speculation behind that. But he did find that a dog will actually form a neurological connection with the sound that precedes food. So, for example, his assistant would enter the room of food and the footsteps caused the dog to salivate. So, like, mm. my dogs, they know when it's 8 o'clock at night because that's when they get fed every day. And they will start drooling and sitting and waiting. <laughs> like, so, you know, dogs know.
2: My they dog know, does yeah. that when the, when I feed the cats
0: because mm-hmm. she knows,
2: like that one of the cats get fed, she gets fed. Yeah. Yeah. So I time mean, I like close the door, feed them in the bathroom, come out and she's sitting there like, like up on her legs, like <laughs> waiting for it. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. So next we have Edward Lee Thorndike, who is one of the first to apply scientific and statistical approaches to motivational education and use positive reinforcement. So he discovered that behaviors producing a desired effect are more likely to be repeated while behaviors that produce an unpleasant effect Are not. So he called this law of effect. Understanding how this phenomenon motivates canine behavior became the key to understanding how to encourage and discourage dog behavior. So it's pretty simple. Like if you burn yourself on a stove, you're not going to touch the stove again purposely. Or if you, like in college, I think the example they were like, if you walked into your closet and there was 50 bucks in there every time you walked in, you'd be walking into that closet a lot. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. whatever motivates you. So in the 20th century, B.F. Skinner created the Skinner Box. Fun fact, his name's always abbreviated, but his name is Burris Frederick. Oh. <laughs> nope. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> Burris. It just cracks me up. <laughs> this guy was wild. But in this instance, he created a box, like a device to measure animal behavior. So this apparatus had a lever, and then a slot for food reward, and then a source of water. So he would put an animal inside, like a dog, and it would begin to move around and eventually it would like hit the lever and food would come out. And so he figured out soon enough that the animal would learn that that lever equaled reward. So that birthed operant conditioning. So that is a method of learning where action results in consequences. So there's four quadrants. The first one's positive reinforcement for dogs, giving them a treat, letting them play, giving it praise. It's so positive. And then you have negative reinforcement, which is going to be a subtraction of the undesirable stimulus to response to that behavior. So if your dog doesn't like to be walked on a leash, say you're going to the dog park, you decide to sit down before you let them go play. So they're learning like taking away the leash is the reward. So Mm that and then you have positive punishment and it's the addition of an undesirable stimulus in response to behavior. So this would be like smacking a dog with a newspaper or a water bottle. Or like a choke collar. That would be considered that too. And then negative punishment is the subtraction of a pleasant stimulus. So that'd be like, if your dog is being aggressive eating, you take the food away. Mm -hmm. So actions will result in desirable consequences will typically occur more frequently. Actions resulting in undesirable consequences will happen less frequently. So we all know this. Human behavior is the same. Skinner's work built on the law of effect from Thorndike's work and it revealed a much more detailed picture of the principles of learning for both animals and humans. And he had a huge impact on the field of modern dog training. From Skinner's work, we know that desired behaviors should be reinforced and that behaviors can be shaped in incremental steps. And that immediate rather than delayed reinforcement facilitates a more related, like reliable learning. So it's that kind of thing, like if you catch your dog doing something, don't wait, you know, because it's not going to do anything if you punish them. Yeah, Right. So dog training as a profession got off on a rocky start (laughs) because world wars. And one of the major things that created this big revolution of dog training was Germany. Germany Mm. was really like mass training dogs for a lot of their programs. And we talked a little bit last episode about the Mercy Dogs, but there was a lot of terrifying things that the Germans did with their dogs as well. So they called it the revolution of compulsion when dogs were trained using harsh, punishable methods. Oh, that sucks. Okay, so Conrad Most, that's his last name. He's the most shitty of people. He's credited (laughs) with this movement. He played a role in the formation of the German Canine Research Society and the Society for Animal Psychology. This means that they tended to use mostly positive punishment, i.e. discomfort, pain, force, Essentially, adding aversive repercussions to get results, hmm. and this was popularized by his fucking book called *Training Dogs: A Manual*. It was just yeah. a manual of, like how to beat your dog. It's oh. horrifying. Is this, is, that, is this the reason why? Like,
1: y- do you remember? Like, I don't know if it's so common nowadays, but like, especially like in the nineties, I remember like a lot of even two thousands, like a lot of m- single males trained their dogs in German even though they never spoke German. Like, I just found him, because I grew up in, right outside Detroit, and I just knew so many people. Like, I was like, why are you training? Because they're like, we're training it the German method or whatever. You know how there was like a trend for,
0: do you remember that? We'll get into it. It's like, there's a second German dude, and his book is still one of the most bought books. But I know that a lot of people like to train in other languages so that if somebody tries to steal the dog, they can't understand English. Got it, okay. So they, especially like purebreds, I've I've heard that cuz some people will want the trained ones cuz they can get more money, but if they think the dogs quote unquote stupid, they don't want it.
2: When um, I was in like middle school, I was a huge dork. I mean, I still am, but like I was obsessed <laughs> I was obsessed with Lord of the Rings. So I like taught my dog commands
0: in elvish. <gasps> That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> so cute. Oh, <laughs> I wish I I wanted to learn that, but I never did. But I, somebody on TikTok the other day was speaking Elvish. And I'm like, when, how do you learn that too? How I, do you do it so good? Like, I don't. So, um, so I actually sucks. have
1: dual citizenship to Finland. And Elvish is like super similar to Finnish. And I can understand some Finnish. And like, so I can like, yeah, it's it's so similar. He, ba- like, he based it off of Finnish.
0: That's oh, cool. that's so cool. One of the yeah, Patreons yeah. from Finland.
1: Every time oh, I, I have to
0: pronounce something from there, I. I sent her a message.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I didn't know you was... had
2: dual
0: citizenship. How did I not yep. know that?
1: Oh, that's how I got to go to school there for free for like a year.
2: Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, well, I knew so you cool. lived there. I did know mm-hmm. you had dual mm-hmm. citizenship. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's badass. All right. So that manual was published in 1910. Fortunately, the movement towards gentler training methods began in the years following World War II. When Skinner's work was popularized by two of his students, Keller and Marion Breland, their work fostered a humane training method, and it was promoted worldwide. So, yay! <laughs> in 1947, the Brelands founded an Animal Behavior Enterprises, which brought together the field's professional animal training and the modern behavior science. So, this is like the first time somebody's like, let's use what the psychologists are doing, and then what we've learned about animal behavior and all that stuff. So, their whole mission was to try to teach people a more humane way of training animals, and it also, in a lot of these areas. For a long time, people were convinced that animals didn't feel pain. So, this is probably why this was acceptable because they just did not think dogs felt pain. And this is sadly a thing that happens with a lot. I mean, for a long time, they didn't think African Americans felt pain either. So, humanity's just fucked. They used the tenets of operant conditioning, they trained thousands of animals for varying like a variety of purposes. And then they moved the dog training field towards an alternate education process that relied on kindness and not force. Several years after Keller Breland passed away, Marion married Bob Bailey, the first director of training in the Navy's Marine Mammal Program. And they worked together to create the Canine Companions for Independence, a nonprofit organization that trained dogs to assist disabled individuals. So that's super cool. And the 50s, 60s, and 70s was another big like boom of dog trainers and different types of vids. So Karen Pryor wrote a book called Don't Shoot the Dog in 1984 uh-huh. that provided a strong foothold for today's force-free reward-based training methods. So this would be like your click and treat mm-hmm. like Smart does, you know, like you use the clicker and the treat. So William Kohler was another military dog trainer, and he was kind of similar to that Conrad dickbag I talked about. And he wrote a book called The Kohler Method of Dog Training, and it was for decades and even recently the best-selling dog training book of all time. So this is the German dude. So it's possible that people are still listening. I I find it like
1: mind-boggling that it's been the best-selling one for that long. Yeah. yeah, there's been so many advances made in so many different, like, okay, sorry. Yes, I'm sure you feel yeah, the exact
0: same way. <laughs> n- no, and his thing was like, nip the problem in the bud by bringing pain. And mm-hmm. it was bad. Like, I read a few excerpts, and it was it was mostly like choking. Like, he was really into the choke collar, but it'd be like choking your dog till they pass out to teach them a lesson. And that's just disgusting. Like, no. I just don't know how a human could even allow your dog to be because it was like your dog might throw up but it's okay and i'm like no it's not you never oh i have so much rage he's going on the fuck you list (laughs) no
2: that's so so frustrating yeah yeah it's
0: just so disgusting so i'm glad we've moved away from that but it makes me really sad people still have that book like it's Mm -hmm. still
1: you can still buy it i mean that's why you can really judge someone on how they treat animals aka Mm -hmm. pups (laughs) yep
0: Like I, I understand, like say your dog's about to run into traffic and you swat at him or something just to save his life. I can understand. Like I don't think that's horrific, but to like choke collar your dog out,
2: yeah, till your dog him, passes out. Yeah,
0: pain. yeah. I, mean, I don't like their own, but I just there's yep. proven ways of training a dog that don't involve inflicting actual pain. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. very sad. To me. So, Dr. Ian Dunbar was a veterinarian and animal behaviorist. He authored several books in 1982. He began teaching an off leash puppy socialization and training class. So, he's the first dude to be like, maybe we should start when they're puppies, like have everybody socialize, <laughs> kind of like kids need to be socialized to know, you know, home training and all that. So, he started that and he created and developed the San Francisco SPS or SPCA's animal behavioral department. And then in 1993, he founded the Association of Pet Dog Trainers. And then over the past thirty plus years, he's given over a thousand presentations around the world in an effort to popularize puppy socialization and dog friendly training. Oh, so, that's, that's cute. cute! And I know I keep on mentioning PetSmart because I work there, but yeah, they do like puppy socialization. That's how their like training works. It's like socialization and then the click and the treat. So I was like, oh, they're they're picking up on all these. <laughs> So, currently, there's a wide variety of dog training methods, and some of the more popular ones are these. So, there's balanced dog trainers that utilize all four quadrants of the operant conditioning. So, that's going to try to resolve any kind of behavioral issues. So, these trainers use a combination of primary reinforcers, so usually treats or toys. And then they have secondary reinforcers, like the clickers and whistles. And then they have training collars. Sometimes they have the prong collars and remote collars. And then they combine that with systemic desensitization and socialization. The next one is purely positive dog trainers. And those are still popular. These trainers exclusively use positive reinforcement to train dogs and attempt to resolve behavioral problems that way. So they never use like a water bottle or any of that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. There's the dominance or pack leader trainers that use the theory that dogs are still very much like their wolf ancestors and need to be treated as such, aka like strong pack leader. Like I've known people that have done that too. Like, oh, I'm the leader of the pack. Listen to me. Yeah. So the next one's behavioral adjustment training and it's a force-free method based primarily around systemic desensitization and closely monitoring your dog's body language and reactions in order to avoid flooding or reaching over their threshold. This system is based around negative reinforcement and sometimes use clicker training to mark desirable behaviors. I kind of like some of that. You can tell with your dog's body language, you know, being really in tune to like what's bothering them and situations that bother them. Mm Because my dog, like if he's really uncomfortable, he's more likely to maybe nip at somebody. I Mm -hmm. can tell by his body language. but
2: Yeah, no, I can. Yeah, I can see that. He's just got a lot of anxiety. He's not a
0: bad dog. <laughs> he's
1: just... I mean, like, we all do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, dog,
0: my dog is the same. Yeah. Yeah, he's oh, he's like puppy weed, if that's a thing. I know it is. I don't know how to get it, but I think he needs it. They have, like, puppy CBD that helps. Yeah. I've tried the Thunder shirts. I've tried the herbal stuff, like the aromatherapy. Nothing works. Mm-hmm. He's just a nervous wreck. He's afraid of everything. Oh. Oh, yeah. One time we were in a tornado. And so I put all the animals in a bathtub because that's the only thing we had at the time. And now every time there's thunder or rain, he goes to the bathtub. Oh, <laughs> he like never forgot. He trains. Oh. Yeah. So he knows where that's the really tornado cute. thing is now. But oh. I'm just like, poor oh, baby. I just hear him shaking in the bathtub. I'm like, oh, it's okay, buddy. And like oh. fireworks and stuff. Oh, Lord. Oh, fireworks are the worst. All right. So the next one is science-based training. So much like the balanced dog training, it seeks to understand the connection between all four quadrants of operant conditioning. In addition to classical conditioning and sensitization and desensitization versus flooding and modifying psychological associations in talk training. So this school of thought is quite new and it's frequently changing because they're just following the science. So with a lot of science, it moves really quickly. So as soon as you find something new, you just change. Mm -hmm. Mirror training, which is basically do as I do style of training where the handler tries to get their dog to mirror them. Which I've seen people do that too. Which like if you have dogs like my boxer, we kind of did mirror training with him. So we'd have him do stuff and then my you know, he was a puppy. He would see him do it, get the reward, and then he would do it. So I kind of copied it's him. Cool. And then when you consider natural behaviors of specific breeds of dogs, it's possible to train them to perform very specialized, highly useful tasks. For example, labs are really the favorite breed for detections of explosives. And that's because it's a combination of factors, including their food drive, which enables them to keep focused on a task despite any noise or distractions. Some breeds are just, they're focused. <laughs>
2: Yeah, My dog is not one of those breeds.
0: No, mine <laughs> either. <laughs> when I met my husband, his roommate had a German Shepherd. And she was... He always kind of described her as machine. Like, she had to have a job. And, like, when she had that job, nothing else mattered. Just mm-hmm. had to do that job. But if she was bored, she just kind of didn't know what to do with herself. I feel like German
2: Shepherds are like that. They're like... Yeah, they, like, have to do something. Because that's what they're, they're trained to be, job
0: dogs. hmm And then I thought... What's the opposite of a big working dog? A tiny one. So <laughs> this, I didn't know this was a thing. Cocker spaniels are used to be termite detectors. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. I know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So their small size enables them to fit into little tiny spaces. And then their lightweight allows them to walk on areas of a ceiling, which would be too dangerous for anything heavier.
1: I heard old wives tales in Michigan. <laughs> that's cute that's like so i'm not even cute. joking like i heard that like i remember being like what <laughs> but i remember so, like hating cocker spaniels when i was little grandmas always had really crotchety ones and they hated kids
0: oh they're so cute my aunt used to have a bunch of cocker spaniels those little floppy ears so i love them they're so cute because of their ability to learn signals by sight and their energetic and athletic natures, German shepherds are trained to work alongside search and rescue teams and human apprehension teams. So they're really popular for that. That's Which, cool. I think they're really popular for like cadaver dogs too. I was just, I've been trying to teach my dog to be a cadaver dog, but she's like not very good at it. <laughs> and cool. I actually I just read that they use placentas to train cadaver dogs. Like it has the 2 cents that they need so they were asking women sense. to donate yeah oh that is so cool yeah i was i think in a some true crime podcast facebook group somebody's like i'm signing up <laughs>
2: Okay, Kami, yeah. next time you have a baby, donate your placenta so I can teach my dog to be a good to have her dog. <laughs> I
1: was like, I feel like there's more money in, like, like morals or whatever it's called. Like, the the special kind of, like, mushroom and truffles and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's if good. I was – I would teach my dog to do that because I was like, obviously, I can't have a truffle pig. I just feel like that's, like, a really hard thing to attain, but I can have a truffle dog.
0: <laughs> oh, did you guys ever – watch that show on amazon prime it was that competition show but it was dogs what's that show where people like race around the world doing competition stuff the amazing race yeah it was amazing race but with your dog oh and one of the competitions was finding truffles and so they had to like figure out how to train their dog like immediately how to find the truffles i love truffles i would (laughs) so train my dog to do that i I had had to do no money from their truffles uh, (laughs) I realized how untrained my dogs were for everything they were doing. I'm like, mine wouldn't do any of that. I would My dog anything. is so untrained, so but she's cute. I Real, highly really
1: recommend quickly, it. Though. The only like dog training thing I've ever 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 watched was uh, Best in Show, and I'm going to so do everything from that. No, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. It's like my go-to. Oh, Eugene Levy in it is like my babe. Oh,
0: he is like I treasure. forgot he was in that. He's so good. <laughs> and then uh, to the random world. <sighs> words Keena. so to get back to the random word some dogs need some extra training so if you're the president in the united states or say the prime minister nailed it (laughs) your dogs have to have like special uh, extra training so like the biden's i had been reading a thing how they had to be trained to go on airplanes how they had to be trained to be around so many people so like political Um, rallies um, every time they have a crowd of people and just new people and they have to be able to be told to like lay down and stay calm and just you know a lot of that i didn't realize because they're flying they're in a new place all the time because it makes me camp appreciate
1: campaign. presidential dogs so much more
0: yeah yeah that's
1: like wow that's i'm thank you for telling me that i had no idea like that, like, that just made yeah. me like yeah yeah
0: that is so cool. i've read the i've read the statement from the dog trainer but he was like you know major you know how to had an incident, but he's like, We're working on it and he won't do it again. He's like, We we work really hard in weird situations, but it was an accident. He was probably just stressed out, like leave him yeah. alone. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean he's still new there and also have I, they even I,
2: smudged the White House yet since like Trump left. Like <laughs>
0: there's like so much like bad energy like, there. <laughs> exactly. He's probably picking up on all the bad juju and yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And plus like major he he's the first shelter dog ever in the white house but yeah. he had when he was a puppy i think it was like an abuse situation and like broke his back or something so like the biden's actually fostered him through his rehabilitation and then they adopted him after oh. so i mean that could be yeah. a thing because like my dog was abused as a puppy and he yeah. still has
2: you know like so is I, mine mine like it's really
0: yeah and he when, was like twelve weeks when I saved him, like rescued him, but he still like remembers things. I think so. Mine, like, is, she broke her tail twice, and we
2: don't know how, no. but like, I, I do. yeah. Oh, really? Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, yeah like he's all crooked. <laughs> yeah, she will like any loud noise. She hates even if we get in like an argument and like slightly raise our voice, she'll like go run into the bathroom and hide. Or like any like a broom, like mm-hmm. falls she like freak out it's like i just i just want to protect her and i don't want anything bad to happen to her
0: but yeah presidential dogs and i know the prime minister of canada, was it canada? i think he has a dog that goes out and with the public like they go off leash and stuff so like they're trained to be able to <sighs> just run around around just like thousands of people and not be distracted so. like,
1: like let's just be honest like do i want to shake joe biden's hand or do i want to like shake his pup's hand and like it's way more his i'm, I'm like high five
2: yeah. <laughs> right so I, love,
0: I love <laughs> kelly clarkson like i feel like we're the same person and i just want to meet her or be her one of those but she got to go to the white house and interviewed dr jill biden and like, first thing she went was like running towards the talks that's <laughs> so, what i would do right? too i know be like I'm hearing you, adorable little loopster, because Trump was the first president in a 100 years-ish to not have a dog or like oh, any really? animal. really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Is, is that
1: telling? A- have you ever seen him or ever heard about him having a dog? I'm just asking.
0: I don't, I don't think so. The only animal I've ever seen him with is that bald eagle that tried to attack him. <laughs> <laughs> think about it a lot. I was, mean, I was like, that's <laughs> definitely
1: a Frazier crane incident, like where the crane attacked him or like flew away. Sorry. I like love. I love, I love, I love Frazier. Sorry. I, <laughs>
0: well, you know, of course, before you had Bo and Sonny with the Obamas and then the Bushes had their little, um, the little terriers. You remember their names. They were I'm so like- cute. Yeah. Uh, oh, there were Scotties. They had the Scotties. Dogs have also been shown to be terrific assets to those with visual and auditory impairments, as well as those with limited mobility. Then you have physical conditions like seizures and diabetes and allergies. Like, I I thought I had celiac disease for a long time because I was misdiagnosed. <laughs> so I couldn't have gluten. But they have gluten-detecting dogs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want one. Turns yeah. out it was lupus the whole time. So I didn't need it. but. I think it's really cool. And I saw like this little girl, her school picture was her and her gluten detecting dog next to her. Like, it's so cute. I- I'm addicted to TikTok. I'm on there all the time. But One person was recording something and she started to have a seizure, but she didn't realize it. But the dog realized it. So the dog got on her, got her on the ground before she even realized one was coming. So before she had any indication that she herself didn't even know it was happening, the dog was like, I got you. I've I've been like training my
2: dog to be like an emotional support dog a little bit because I have I like had anxiety before but like Mm -hmm. during the pandemic it's just gone like way up. So yeah, you could I've like watched like TikTok videos. She's pretty good. Like now she knows. I had a panic attack the other day and she just came and like laid on my chest and like waited to like until oh. I was done but like sometimes she gets That's really insane. excited then she like lick my face and I'm like I don't want you to like lick my face while I'm like having a panic attack because I already can't breathe and she's yeah. like but yeah no and then like I've trained her to like come lay on because it's I forget what it's called oh deep pressure therapy so like it's actually been trained to the dogs like laying on your legs okay. to like calm you down so like yeah there's, and it's I've so seen helpful.
0: those too um, mm-hmm. I saw one video of this she was training her dog and for something else, I think it was for like an emotional support thing, but she was going up and down and it activated her pot syndrome. So she started to actually go into a, like start to pass out and then it showed like the dog doing what it was supposed to. And then, cause that's the other thing. If you ever see a dog working and mm-hmm. a person is down, like usually the dog will have like instructions somewhere on it or uh-huh. you call help and just, Leave, let the dog work. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't know what to do, but the dog knows what it's doing. So don't ever yeah. try to get in the way of that. And then also, like you mentioned, mental health conditions like PTSD, and panic disorders, dogs are just invaluable. Mm-hmm. Like, they they're really help. Panic attack before people even realize they're having them, and especially like military dogs, like you know vets that come home and have PTSD and such. Like their dogs are lifesavers, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. my heart so dogs have to be very highly trained as well as companions so you have to have a dog that has a job is super focused but is also your best friend so with these types of situations, it's a very uh, there's a lot that goes into it and some dogs just I know some dogs just can't hack it that's why it's like um, the training school dropout, cute little adoptions <laughs> they do they're like you just couldn't, couldn't do it but he's still cute yeah uh, so they're carefully selected to have the right physical ability and temperament. They are then put through intense training that is reward based. So it's all positive reinforcement. And then these dogs are trained to ignore distractions. They have to be able to take directions. They're taught to lead, to communicate, to follow the commands. And it's imperative that these animals be thoroughly trained before, you know, if they have any mishaps or endanger the lives of the owner. So they're trained first till they're, perfection and then you get to meet your dog and then you have to go through the training process all over again but with that dog so the dogs are training for a really long time oh it sounds exhausting yeah Yeah. (laughs) i was like and drug search and rescue or bomb squad dogs are highly trained in tracking and alerting skills police and protection dogs are trained in controlled aggression each animal is highly skilled in their respective field and they're not interchangeable. So it's not like you can have a bomb dog and then be like, okay, well, now we're going to go do this other thing. They have to mm-hmm. do their one their thing. Their one thing. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. And dogs trained in tracking abilities are less likely to be trained using heavy handed techniques while police and protection dogs are. So if you've ever seen like a police dog training, yeah, they're taught to be aggressive because they're taking down people, the people in the suits and stuff. And the latest dog training taking place is in the medical field, and this is so fucking cool. Dogs have such highly sensitive noses, they can sniff out things like cancer. So there's all these studies going on that dogs can actually smell cancer before it's detectable. Wow, that's cool. That's so cool. I that, know the they're just insane. And of course, peppers still play a huge role in the military. So a Belgian uh I don't know how to say this. Malin, Malinwa. Oh, uh, Malinois. Yeah. Okay. Malinwa. I've mm-hmm. got a picture. This, this little, little sweet guy here jumping out of an airplane.
2: Oh, my God. That's Did an airplane? Z- That's a-
0: yes. This is a helicopter. They are parachuting the dog. What? <laughs> Look how confident that dog is. Okay, like, I have jumped out of an airplane before, and I, well, I
2: was actually pushed out of the airplane because I wouldn't jump out on my own. But, like, I can tell you I was I,
0: I was not that confident. Oh. oh, God. That, like, gives me, like, PTSD. Oh Yes. That's so, so cool. This dude's name is Cairo, and he was the dog involved in the 2011 raid that ended with Osama bin Laden's death. This dog is a goddamn hero. He jumped out of the plane? I cannot get over yes, that. Yes, and he was one of the first ones in that compound. Okay, so okay. the dog and the trainer and like a couple of people went to do the first, you know, sweep and the dog was in the first part of it. He actually wore a special dog armor that can withstand clouds of hot shrapnel. So he actually had his own like Kevlar. How do he get his parachute pulled? I'm assuming his companion does it. I should ask one of my friend's husband does that. I need to ask how it works. That's cool. Because they're not touching as they jump.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it would be hard to.
0: Unless maybe it's like, like, maybe it comes out on its own. Maybe it's like a time activated thing. Maybe I like, don't yeah. maybe the
2: owner
1: has like a button or something. Maybe. Yeah, yeah gotta it it is. that's gotta be. Because in case it they
0: get separated a little bit too much, yeah. I should have googled that, but I didn't think of it. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> of course, they're gonna let the dogs survive. I know he lives. Got a bunch of awards. Good pupper oh, dog. That's cool. And then we. Talked about the Mercy Dogs last episode, and they saved so many lives. They would bring first aid to people on the battlefield because, you know, you couldn't necessarily get help in World War II in the trenches. And they would also be able to sniff out life in people that looked dead. So a normal, like, first aid respondent would think that person's dead. And the dog would be like, nah, he's alive. And they saved so many people that way. Oh, that's Wow, cool. I had no idea. Yeah, it's incredible. And then in the Korean War in Vietnam, they were used as tunnel dogs and sentry dogs. And even today, dogs still hunt down and find IEDs, and then they find people as trackers. I thought this was hilarious. Or okay, this is a quote. We have a tradition in the program. The canines don't have formal rank by structure, but they do traditionally hold rank of non-commissioned officer. Handlers are E3s, E4s, and their dogs always outrank them. <laughs> That's amazing! <laughs> And the reason the dog outranks them is because they want the handler to always have respect for their dogs. And As you have- they should. Yes, oh, that's so cute. And you always have respect for your senior NCO. That These are your funny. partners. Do they?
1: Like, I wonder, do they salute their dogs? I don't
0: know. I need. to I know mean, the if they're a, if they're a senior ranking. Kind of have I mean,
1: to, right? Possibly. I don't know. Sorry, that would just be like the cutest thing if I saw someone doing that to their <laughs> I'd be like,
0: oh so cute. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just love it that they're trained. Like, this is your partner, not equipment. This is not a dog, mm-hmm. this is your partner. And that was from Major Matthew Kowalski and the 341st Training Squadron Commander at Joint Base San Antonio Lackland, which is just down the road from me. And it has the Department of Defense's military working dog program, because this is where security forces goes to their training so Lackland is the air force boot camp and then they also do security forces here and uh, Lackland has a really really just incredible dog memorial for all the working dogs in the military it's so cool if you ever get a chance to see that I highly recommend it I took pictures we brought the dogs and had them like (laughs) oh (laughs) so cute yeah it was really 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 cool So, why dogs? Like, why can't we replace them with a person machine? And in short, it's impossible. So, a lot of our science and technology has been trying to replicate what a dog can do, but it can't. Like, their olfactory glands are 10,000 times more sensitive than any piece of equipment we've ever developed. So, the detection work they do, like finding explosives, it can never be replaced. It's just incredible. And of course, you know, there's the intangible parts too. Military working dogs are treasured companions for their handlers. And the bond they share, like human and their doggy partner, it doesn't end when their time is service is over. Most of them spend the rest of their life with their handler. It's so sweet. That's so sweet. Oh. So that's what's segment. It got really mushy at the end. But yeah, I just love it. Because you especially like police dogs, military dogs, you always see like, you know, they spend the rest of their lives just being a you know, best friend after you're work. So and cute. Time. Oh, I love dogs. They do good work. They're good. They're good puppers. Hello, friends. I'm really excited to tell you about the podcast new sponsor, She's Birdie. It's a personal safety alarm that helps deter an attack. So if you're threatened, you activate Birdie's siren and flashing light to create a diversion. And boy, is it a diversion. This creates a 130 decibel siren. That is the equivalent of a jet engine about 100 feet above your head. So she loud and the strobe light is bright. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I was in college, I was leaving my apartment and probably walking 20 feet. It was barely anything. And I was mugged by two men and I had pepper spray. It was at the bottom of my bag, but it happened so quick. All I had in my hand was my keys. It's traumatizing. And I also, you know, go for a walk every day. I love hiking. And it's really hard to feel safe sometimes. And if you're like me, you're also always going on government property where you can't have a weapon. And I live in Texas where it is really windy. And I think about that because if I were to activate my pepper spray, there's a huge possibility that it's going to blow back and I'll pepper spray myself. Because the wind here is insane. If you've never been to South Texas, it's crazy. So I love She's Birdie because it's loud enough where I know I'm going to draw attention to myself. I know that when I was mugged, the two men that did it looked really nervous, and I think that if I could have created a bigger distraction where more people could have heard me, I think they would have ran just from, like, their body language, but, you know, me screaming just wasn't enough to bring attention from people that were inside their houses watching TV or making noise or cooking dinner or whatever, but I do believe that if I would have had this at the time... Everybody would have heard it and everybody would have peeked out their window to see what was happening. I also love that this is lightweight. It can just click onto your keychain. It's really easy to use. You can practice with it. That was the other thing with pepper spray. I have a lot of anxiety, so I like to practice things. So I feel like I know what I'm doing. And you can't really practice a whole lot with pepper spray because then you're going to use it all. So this, you can pull the tab. You can try it out. You can do what you need to do to feel comfortable. So if you would like to get 10% off your own She's Birdie, go to she'sbirdie.com and put in coupon code historical AF. Again, that's she'sbirdie.com and coupon code historical AF. Okay,
2: Mm -hmm. should we do our segment? Sure. Yeah, and uh, Emily and
1: I, it's a little different. Instead of giving a history, we picked a specific part and just kind of like, it's a cute little, almost like anecdote, little story. Oh, no, I love it. We decided to go spooky in a really nice, kind of sweet, kind of closure way in L.A. off of Highway 101. On the way to Calabasas is a cemetery, (laughs) but it is not people that are buried there in remembrance within the 10 acres of the well-kept rolling hills and gravestones, but beloved pets. It is the LA Pet Memorial Park and some very famous pets are buried there. This pet cemetery, or I saw it called Zoological Necropolis, and I was like, that needs to be the name of a bar. (laughs) I love that. That's cool. (laughs) Is not the largest pet cemetery in the U.S., but it is the most star-studded, aka the pets are super famous, and then the people who own the pets are really famous. Oh. And it was it's actually still called and was called, especially like in its prime heyday, Dog Heaven for the Stars. Dr. Eugene C. Jones, who was a veterinarian to the upper class and film industry of West Hollywood, created the park in 1928 because it was, and I looked it up, It is still illegal to bury any animal or fowl unless in an established cemetery in California. Oh, I was like, I definitely think that
2: we buried our dogs in our house when we was like under it
1: <laughs> no just so in South california Carolina. it changes it okay. changes like yeah it changes like state to state i looked up it's like actually like super interesting to look at what each state does and i kind of fell into that like little loophole for a yeah. while because i thought like oh bury your pet in your backyard it's like as long as you have a backyard and you do it deep enough but like in michigan you have to bury it within 24 hours and it has to be like a certain depth which makes sense because oh. there's like scavenger yeah and actually, most cemeteries do not allow pets to be buried on their grounds. And I read of, we all know of instances of people sneaking pet ashes into a coffin and all that good stuff. And I actually read how there are some cemeteries, there's like one that allows pets and owners to be buried side by side, but oh. only one that I actually read
0: of. that's, well, what that's I mean. wild. I didn't even think to ask. Like we put my dad's ashes and our dog's ashes together. <laughs> His little crypt thing, and we didn't even ask. They're uh, just like, "What is that?" Yeah, like really? it's a bulldog. <laughs> it's like, I
1: mean, it makes sense to me. You want the most faithful companion, right? Yeah. and So he found a opening and he used it, and uh, their first burial at the LA pet cemetery or the pet memorial park was their family dog which i thought Aww. was really sweet
2: you can go That's ahead really and. it's so cute so the mortuary in the city was run as a typical funeral parlor But with many different sized caskets on display from affordable to thousands of dollars, that was back in the 1920s and 30s. So grave sites were about $7.25, or they could be embalmed and placed in a mausoleum. And that would have cost $400, which is over like $6,000 today. Wow. And by 1932, there were almost a thousand pets buried there. And an L.A. Times reporter said, At Christmas time, the little graves are bright with wreaths, poinsettias, and holly leaves. Sometimes even tiny trees decorated with silver silver bells and tinsel are placed by the graves.
0: Oh,
2: I know. So visitors often remark that the grave sites are better kept and are more ornate than other graveyards meant for humans. Shoot up tennis balls and colorful windmills. There are pictures of beloved pets everywhere and animal statues dressed to the nines. The epigraphs are are so endearing. So, like, St. Francis of... Is this Assisi? Yeah, but it's just St. Francis. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who's the patron saint of animals can be found everywhere? There's a mausoleum with stained glass windows, a pet's crematorium, and a viewing room or two. Like, you can go watch
1: youtube videos of people taking tours of this place and it's like going on the best scavenger hunt ever because even if you don't find what you're looking for everything is just so cute and like the pet names are ridiculous like i
2: was dying like there were so many lucifers (laughs) (laughs) and yeah just like the la times reporter said around the winter holidays the cemetery became decorated with like red and green leaves for christmas and also blue and silver for hanukkah and I've read some pet owners even put, like, seven-foot-tall trees on the gravesites, but then stopped because those were, like, getting blown down in the winds. Aww. But they just, it like goes, they, go,
1: they go overboard. Yeah. Out. It's really cute. I love my literary bit. Evelyn Wall came in incognito to interview one of the managers of the cemetery. And the manager only kind of knew him as Mr. Wall. He, like, pronounced it wrong. But, you know, Evelyn Wall wrote Brideshead Revisited. And so he actually gave the cemetery its kind of like infamous second name, which is happier hunting grounds, because he wrote that uh, satirical novel called The Loved One. It became a a, a movie, a black and white movie, back in like in the sixties about the American death industry. And it's actually absolutely hilarious. If you ever had a chance to read it, it's like this, like this guy's reading about this, like these beautiful things written about death. And then he finds out that it's for a parrot, not for like (laughs) a human, like, you know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like, he was, it's just, it's, it's just really funny tongue in cheek, but he was the one who was like, they're off to the happier hunting grounds. And it's like, just kind of commonly used today. We hear it a lot. So I thought that was like really fun. But there are tons of famous animals buried there, like Tawny, the MGM Grand Lion. Um, Oh, wow. Like, just like, I'm talking like uh, famous horses, famous like, you know, uh, Charlie Chaplin's cat. It goes on and on. Mae West's, her chimpanzee. I mean, there's like very famous animals. But we're just going to focus on a couple of the pups. The most famous one that everyone tries to look for, because a lot of owners nowadays do not have their names on their animals' plaques. Because of, they have like a, what is it called? A non-disclosure agreement that is filled out. So they don't have like any names on it anymore. But Rudolph uh, Rudolph or Rudy Valentino. You can find his. They either have it like a Doberman Pinscher or like an Elisation. I can't, sorry. I'm not familiar with the breed. But his dog named Kabar is buried there. And it was gifted to him by a diplomat that was like swooning over him. And it is said that when Valentino died, the dog wandered around like absolutely heartbroken and finally returned to his owner's estate where he died of a broken heart.
0: And for years
1: on the anniversary of Rudolph Valentino's death, his and Kabar's grave were both visited by this lady that was shrouded in black for years. It's like a mystery of what, who her identity and who she was. And they even say that Kabar's ghost haunts the cemetery but it's very friendly it just kind of goes around and like barks and licks people's hands <laughs> like there's been accounts of people that are like don't they're like ah something licked my hand and nobody was and they're like oh ah, it's kamar <laughs> oh,
2: that's so oh. cute and the og pete the pup who was actually played by two dogs so he's pd from little rascals uh, oh, yeah. or who pd for little rascals is modeled after is buried there he has a natural ring around his eyes, which was dyed a bit darker, and it made him one of the most recognizable dogs in history, aka the target dog. <laughs> <laughs> cough, the cough, the one. target dog. <laughs> <laughs> After years in the film industry, he is buried there. And then Moose, the dog who played Eddie and Fraser, and also oh. Skip, and my dog Skip, is buried there. Um, he died of old age at fifteen. And something I didn't know was that his son, en- Enzo, also played Eddie and Fraser, which I thought was cool. They, like, oh. looked enough of life that they could play the same dog. There's even a murder victim, a two-year-old German shepherd named Skippy, who was shot by a mailman in 1989 oh. when Skippy's owner was giving the mailman a bottle of Christmas vodka. So, which I don't... So, uh, so yeah, so what happened... So, okay, so I guess the dog had,
1: like, charged and scared the mailman before, but the owner was, like, giving the mailman his Christmas present, and the dog just ran out of the house, as dogs do. And instead of giving a second or waiting for the owner to, like, you know, get her dog and move it aside or grab it, he just kind of shot point blank.
2: And it was a
1: hum. like, you can still find articles. It's like, there. it was a huge fiasco.
2: And he just had a gun on him? Can you, can you i guess so, i guess i guess it's part of it
1: yeah i mean felonies yeah yeah oh and and yeah. the post office paid for it yeah emily can go ahead and say
2: <laughs> oh no yeah yeah they paid for his funeral Aww. Aww. the
1: postal service did and i was like i hope that he got the most expensive silk lined casket and was buried in the mausoleum with like a perfect urn so that they could put flowers in, all that cute stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I was saying before, Mae West, Steven Spielberg's, Jack Russell, Tori Spelling has a pet buried there, Diana Ross, William Shatner. They all have pets there. Like, And the list goes on Alfred Hitchcock. Like it's kind of crazy the who's who of pets who are buried there. And there's over 40,000 pets buried there today. So wow. my favorite headstone that I saw so far, and there's like, there's conspiracy theories about this. It says Manson. Our evil cat is attacking angels now. And that was just my personal favorite one. I know it's not a puppy, but I was just my favorite one that I saw. And like there's actually conspiracy theories relating to like, okay, was this Manson part of the family or was it not? Like it's just, it's actually I literally saw YouTube, multiple YouTube videos. (laughs) I was like, this is ridiculous.
2: That's (laughs) hilarious. God. It's really cute. So there's another like some of the other more sentimental ones include this one that says my love my beauty my goofy goof my best friend sweet brother my heart aches so deeply without you you will be with me for all eternity loving I love you so very much mommy. Oh, but like it's like I highly
1: encourage like everyone to go watch like a YouTube video because it's like literally the most colorful thing. Like you see um, there's this one called Henry's tree and there's like this this bench. And I think like probably what happened was they planted a tree and it just it grew so tall after years. But it's like Henry's tree. And Aww. it's just like there's all these cute things and it's just really clever. And they have like full size like figurines dressed in tutus. <laughs> and like just like it's like so bright and like like multiple pictures and you can just tell at these places like people have grown like rose bushes it's cute to see regular families go there I think it's really like a great kind of closure I didn't know was even possible yeah.
2: I feel like I want to go there when we do like if we ever go to LA I want to go there mm-hmm.
0: yeah um Michelle and Dion in the comments are from LA you guys should go and take po- photos <laughs> yeah <laughs> does um, she and- have kabar's grave i want to see that yeah, yeah just live stream us and just let us <laughs> go with you
2: <laughs> so on the spooky note this doesn't have to do with the i was looking at like findagrave.com and i thought for a while like i was like writing this like i thought that this pet was buried here but it turns out that they were actually buried in missouri but it's really interesting and it is on the like tune of spooky dog so i included it so this dog jim the wonder dog who died in 1937 at age 12, is buried in Ridge Park Cemetery in Missouri, and his grave is the number one most visited grave at the cemetery. Oh, wow. So he was a pointer who was bred to be a hunting dog, but his skills at telepathy were far more useful. Ooh. It is said that he always knew where his prey was, and he always knew what he was supposed to do without any instruction from his owner. And that on hunting trips, he would catch around 5,000 quail on the hunting trips. So his dad, Sam, would always have like just tons of quail. And like anytime they went hunting, he was also very psychic, the dog, Jim. Um, and he could hear commands that Sam would tell him, such as like Sam would be like thinking, oh, let's go sit under that tree. And Jim would go run to the tree and lay down. What? yeah and so he and then his Jim or jim's dad dad sam bought like a hotel in missouri and jim became a national treasure so he would like all these people would come to the shows and sam would tell jim he'd be like okay hey jim go go stand by a lady in a red dress and he'd like run to the lady in the red dress or he'd be like okay go to Find the car that has a license plate like BQX193, and he'd like run to that car with that license plate. Oh and like, my, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. And they've done like tons of tests on him. Like, he was studied by vets and like by doctors, and they couldn't fit like figure out anything that was like n- something in his brain or anything. But he was just like, he could just like read his mind. He was able to predict the winner of the 1936 World oh. Series. <laughs> he, he, like he predicted winners of horse races he predicted the seven kentucky derbies winners in a row and he even what? predicted the winners of like presidential elections
0: that's so cool i know <laughs> at a point that can't even be a coincidence
2: no it's right it's just too many he's like a dog from the future He's the like- Nostradamus of dogs. <laughs> Nostra- <laughs> Nostradamus, yeah. So I just thought it was, like,
1: really interesting. That is but so yeah, cool. It's like, did up there is pet cemeteries in a lot of places. Not every state necessarily has a designated one, but, like, mm-hmm. California seems to have the highest concentration. There's, like, at least, like, five around the metro like the larger metro area that I saw. But the one that really drew me to this one is they have a rainbow bridge and it's not necessarily (sighs) rainbowed, but it's a literal bridge. It's called rainbow bridge and it has the world's cutest poem, but I couldn't put it on here because we would all cry. We literally all cry, but it talks about how (laughs) animals have a young soul and an old soul. And when they start to age, when their old soul finally meets their young soul again is when they pass the rainbow bridge. I thought it was so cute, but yeah, that's our that's our that's our sweet spooky. Oh,
0: I love that (laughs) sweet spooky ghost dogs. (laughs) Oh, Oh. I I love that idea of a pet cemetery. I don't think I've ever seen one. I need to find out if there's one near me. I You're going to so. be on
1: like new ghost hunting now. But oh, really quick Before we get in, before we digress, our my main our main source was happier hunting grounds, the Los Angeles Pets uh, Memorial Park in Calabasas, by Hadley Mears
2: for KCET. It was oh, a great okay. great article, yeah. mm-hmm. and I also used Find a Grave com and found a bunch of dogs, and then like deeply (laughs) digress
0: Well, it's nice to have like a fun story with pet cemeteries, considering what Stephen King did. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I (sighs) I still can't like I I haven't been able to like bring myself to read or watch that book or watch that movie because oh when I don't like scary things, but I just can't with like. And I'm
1: just like wondering. I'm like, did he write Pet Cemetery before after he buried his dog here? oh i was like did he bury his dog here and then start having nightmares and like it like grew into this story or did he then did he do that and just like oh well i jinxed myself <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh maybe i think i need to figure that out because i mean that's kind of how like you know the shining came about it was just a bad dream that he had at the stanley hotel
2: did that hotel uh-huh. Is Because that hotel is like 30 minutes from where I live. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I've been there a bunch. And it's like, it is freaky. We went in there and it was like, there was a room. And he, me and my dad are all pretty sensitive to like ghosts and stuff. But like, there was a room that none of us could walk in. You get close to it and like your hands start tingling. Like the hair on all of our necks just stood up. And then we were like, we can't even go in. It's like, I've had friends that like came to visit and they've like stayed there and they had to leave in the middle of the night. It's like,
1: oh, wow.
2: it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. You can like, you can feel it though. And it it's not happy ghosts. They're mad. So it's definitely like, you can tell the energy is like sizzly. Oh, I want to go there so
0: bad.
1: <laughs> really quickly before we go, I just wanted to give you this like really cool topic. So I wasn't aware if you had done like actual like hellhounds or not. So I just wanted to make sure because there is... I, I was really into, like, learning about spiritualism, right? Because I covered the Fox sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so apparently, if, was a study done at how many times, like, because dogs are by far the most sighted animal ghosts. Yeah. Like, by far, right? And they come to a peak. Like, I'm talking, like, Thousands of them were found mentioned in the UK newspapers at the end of the, like, 19th century. So Mm -hmm. it's, like, actually, like, really, really interesting to look up because they come into two different forms. So they're either the hellhounds and they have a specific name or they are the friendly ghosts. And there it got so interesting. So I was like, you know, for a later episode, if you ever want to dive into that, it was incredibly interesting to see how and where they manifested and like the pictures that go along with it and the pictures that were in the older newspapers that probably like absolutely terrified people
0: like back in the like, you know, the late 1800s. Oh, so cool. That was a thing. And. I don't know if it was everywhere, but the superstition that whatever was buried in the cemetery first was trapped there forever, so they'd always bury a dog first, and Aww. then the dog would be oh, like. I a, did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. So it was like the. I think the grim. Oh,
1: well, I this was remember. super fun. I like. Yes. How we get to see you soon. That was, thanks for teaching us so much.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining me. This is so much fun, and I'm so glad you joined me. I know. Tell everybody how to find your podcast. Um, it's yeah.
2: on. Spotify and i uh, i or, or Apple podcasts and is it on anything else? I think I'm sure it is. It's on. It's, it's, on, it's on. It's on. It's on other stuff. But like I said, we're, we're still like
1: learning, and like yeah. we pretty much only use Instagram. We have other stuff, but we just prefer Instagram. Like we're I said, we are Twitter taking too. a hiatus to yeah, like taking, really make ourselves more legitimate. <laughs> we're taking
2: like a three month break. We'll be back in June, but we have I think we have like fifty episodes out. So that's enough time for you to binge all of the episodes and get caught up before we come back
0: in June. Yes. Um, and you guys will have to come back. Yes, absolutely. We would love come to anytime. any time.
1: This is fun.
0: And next week is a hundred episodes. We've made it guys. We've made it a long time. And I am so incredibly thankful for every single one of you for listening, supporting, you know, just being a delightful human that I'm so glad is in my life. And to celebrate 100 episodes, we're doing a special 100-themed episode. I will also be joined by a bunch of guests, and we're talking a bunch of guests, like almost a dozen, (laughs) who are gonna be popping in and out and doing stories for us. They're all previous guests that you know and love, and I'm just so excited to have them all back and just uh, have fun and celebrate this milestone. All right, my friends, I will see you next week. Okay, bye! Have you ever wondered why you have an Achilles heel? Or maybe why the days of the week are named the way that they are? Well, I'm here to tell you. Thoroughly Modern Mythology is a podcast that explores old mythology and the way that it impacts our everyday life. Every other week, we're going to have a podcast that will explore new myth, the way that it impacts the world around us every single day, and the way that mythology evolves. We're also going to get into some history, so I hope you enjoyed that class in high school. If you guys want to know more about how the world around you has been shaped by the oldest of stories, come on by. We're on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Just look for Thoroughly Modern Mythology. Thanks, guys. I hope we see you soon.